I can't afford to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room as part of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's class of 2022, please welcome guitarist and founding member of Eurythmics, Mr. Dave Stewart. Hello, Dave. Hi, how are you? I am good, Dave, and congratulations. Thank you very much. I know it's... uh... It's interesting because we're also getting inducted in the Songwriters Hall of Fame on June the 16th, but that was meant to be two and a bit years ago before the pandemic. So now we've got a double whammy, as they say in Britain, two in one year. A lot of activity. And um, this is your second time on the ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Last time was Mm -hmm. in 2017. And you guys are number four on the fan vote list this year. That's got to make you feel great. Yeah, I mean, considering we haven't really released anything or played live for years, apart from like just before the pandemic, we did a show at Christmas with Springsteen and Sting. And uh, <clears throat> and that was great, you know, it was like really the sparks were flying again. And then all of a sudden it was the lockdown and uh, like everybody we're lucky in the creative world, you know, because we're in a studio or you're doing your show and we can kind of carry on, you know, it's not like we're working in a restaurant or whatever, but I was founder of two creative members clubs, one in London, huge one called the hospital club in Covent Garden and one in LA and they both shut down. So that was a bit of a drag. It was a meeting place for lunatics, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And Dave, where is your home right now? Where am I talking to you from? Uh, I'm in Nashville. Uh, I actually had to move into my studio here in Nashville because uh, the power went out in the house. I don't know why, but we got quite a lot of that here. I was quite surprised, but um, a lot of power outages, especially when there's bad weather, but it's really sunny and hot outside. Hmm. So you never know. know why it's all you musicians making music in nashville you're drawing all oh, the yeah. power yeah it's all the racket we're making yeah so the last eurythmics album was 1999 so over 20 years and the fans still come out for you they vote the music still means so much to us i mean i'm just so excited every time i voted eurythmics got my vote so i'm oh, glad that, i'm glad that it worked out this time Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, um, I know. Well, there's a lot of fan, Eurythmics fan sites, as they are with many bands and acts, you know. And um, you know what music's like. It becomes like a soundtrack of their lives when they're at college. And, you know, we did make a lot of albums in a short space of time. So I think about nine albums came out between 1981 and uh, 19... 90 and then another one in like 1999 so you know so that's quite a lot of music and fans um all over the world have never stopped you know making facebook sites and 
even websites. There's one Eurythmics Ultimate that has every single thing that any, any, I mean, it's like an impossible task. He's got thousands and thousands of scanned articles and everything Annie and I have done separately and together. And they create these Christmas countdown things and all the other fans join in. And they often talk about, as most fans of bands do, the albums or the songs that are not the singles and not right. the big, you know, um, if you're a, a fan, usually you go deep into the world <clears throat> and discover little gems all over the place. And uh, so that's that's a nice thing, really. So I've, every now and then I've looked at, you know, what's happening out there. and. Then this has kicked off a flurry, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm excited because you are finally going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with all these other artists that you've worked with. John Bon Jovi, Stevie Nicks, Mick Jagger, Tom Petty, Aretha Franklin, Daryl Hall. You've worked with all these people that are already in there, and now you get to join your contemporaries. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I know. I, I had that pointed out uh, by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where, when it happened. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, all these artists and other ones uh, in there that I've worked with and had not just worked with, but great relationships with, you know, to this day. Obviously, Tom passed away. but um, even just not long ago, I did um, It's Good to be King as a kind of tipping my hat when they did a sort of um, online celebration, you know. And, um, and with Mick, you know, we're always in touch and uh, Stevie yeah. was in touch. And, um, but I, yeah, it, that was a great moment, wasn't it? Um, with and George, you know, who I was great friends with George. In fact, I just remember because all of this stuff's coming up now um, in my house in L.A. George was living there and I was in his place in England. Mm -hmm. And when I went there, he had I'd been also filming Dylan. And so when I went there, there was Dylan and George and Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty all in my back garden. And then the next thing, the addition was Roy Orbison, and then they recorded the whole Travelling Wilburys in my back garden, basically. So <laughs> it was pretty insane to uh, know that coming from a little, you know, well, not so little now, town in northeast of England, where I'd be listening on my dad's record player. My brother, who was older, had bought the first Bob Dylan album, and I was 
listening to Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues singers, because my cousin had gone to Memphis and sent a box with it. And so the same thing, you know, when I made Deep Blues, the movie, and being down in the Mississippi Delta with, you know, R.L. Burnside and people. It is, you know, um, it is quite dreamlike, you know, when you look back on it and you go, God, yeah, I was actually there sitting on the front porch <laughs> with R.L. Burnside. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was there. Say to Aretha Franklin, oh, can you move a bit further back from the microphone? You know, it's like crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I wanted to ask, in 1987, you uh, produced a couple tracks on Mick Jagger's second solo album, Primitive Cool. No sitting down on your butt. The world don't owe you. No sitting down in a rut. I want to show you. Don't waste your energy on making enemies. Just take a deep breath and work your way up. Let's work. Be proud. Stand tall. Touch the clouds. You and Mick are peers now, but, you know, growing up, you, of course, are listening to the Rolling Stones. When you're working with Mick Jagger for the first time, how long does it take for you as the fan inside to stop thinking, my God, that's Mick Jagger? Uh, yeah. Well, similarly with George. You know, of course. Bob Dylan. Absolutely. But, uh, with Mick, you know, I was friends with him for a long time before. Uh, he made that album. Um, we would, you know, he would come around my house, or we were fans of blues music, you know. Yeah. And so, same as Dylan, walking dictionary on blues, um, early blues, you know. But the time when I, there was one time I remember, and I, I've got it on a recording because I asked Mick and all a lot of other artists, including Tom. Uh, to actually make some new music for this six-part TV show I'd created uh, called Beyond the Groove. And it was about the guy who had lost his way and he drove across America and came across all these strange people acting. And it was played by real, uh, you know, artists from Little Richard to <laughs> Tom Petty, right? And Nick was in my house and he was playing on the piano memory motel Yeah, um, love yeah. it from Black and Blue. Yeah, and he's like going sha na 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 and playing the piano, and the sunlight's coming in <coughs> through the window in London, 
he was playing my um, piano and sort of rehearsing it and singing it. And um, I just was fucking hell. <laughs> it's it's yeah. Mick Jagger yeah. playing my piano and singing this like amazing classic song. And similarly, you know, when Bob Dylan called me at about 11 o'clock at night and said, hey, Dave, uh, do you want to make a film tomorrow? You know, <laughs> and like next thing I'm shooting him with a top hat on with my eight millimeter cine camera and we're wandering through Camden town. And there was a moment when I said, Bob, I'll tell you what, walk across this bridge because there was a crowd following us and we forgot, you know, we didn't have any, you know, people guarding us, you know, like tour managers or bodyguards right. or anything. And there's me and Mick Jagger and I was already, you know, this is past the peak of Eurythmics and, um, and dealing with the top hat, so so recognizable. Right. So the crowd was coming, so I thought, well, let's make it like the Pied Piper. So I'm lying on the ground with my 8mm cine camera, and I've got Bob coming over this little bridge juggling, and a crowd of people behind him, and I told them, just step over me. Uh, I told them, just step over me, you know, like the crowd. Right. Great bit of film, if you want to see it. It's on YouTube called Blood in My Eyes. That's surreal. You on the ground, Bob Dylan juggling, people walking over you. I mean, you can't make this up. This is rock and roll. Yeah, and at that moment, it was another moment when I went, fucking hell. <laughs> um, I'm asking Bob to sort of juggle and walk over me while I'm lying on the ground with this like little eight millimeter cine camera. It looks great, though. I'm fascinated that Bob Dylan knows how to juggle. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> Perfect. Because he, he he just said okay. The songs that you co-wrote with Mick on Primitive Cool are some of my favorites on the album. I just wanted to point out, say you will, I think should have been a bigger hit than it was. That's a fantastic song. Cast all your fears aside and say you will. Say you will be mine and stay with me. Deep in the country, but I live for the 
And I also want to mention that you and Mick won a Golden Globe in 2005 for Best Original Song for Old Habits Die Hard from the remake yeah. of Alf P. And that's also a great tune. I thought I shook myself free You see I bounce back quicker than most But I'm half delirious It's too mysterious You walk through my walls like a ghost And I take every day at a time I'm proud as a lion in his lair Now there's no denying it No decrying it You're all tangled up in my hair Yeah, I wanted to back up you, you know, you mentioned Tom Petty, obviously a great loss to the music community and for you as a friend. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how you came to work with Tom because you worked on the Southern Accents album. And at that time, Tom really wasn't collaborating with outside writers. He would mainly collaborate with just Mike Campbell and the rest he would do on his own. How did you come into the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers camp. Well, the uh, how that song, you know, the, the video and the single "Don't Come Around Here No More." Why I suggested it's a Mad Hatter's Tea Party because that was my thinking about arriving in LA and what happened building up to that song was so like walking through the looking glass, you know? Mm. It's like um, we played in a, a theater in Los Angeles and we were starting to be huge, you know, Sweet Dreams. And a lot of people came to check out Annie. You know, a lot of people thought Annie was, um, you know, a black soul singer. Right, you know? of course. And, and uh so a lot of female artists came to check out Annie and there was a lot of musicians basically going, who is this group and uh, why and how how are they going to be? You know, and they didn't realize we were a full-on band. Yeah, We were a duo, but we had played a lot and we had players. And so it was, in fact, when we played that night, Sam from Sam and Dave leapt on the stage and was dancing and singing, and it was very chaotic. And Stevie Nicks was backstage, invited me. I wanted to go to a party at her house, and she had her two backing singers in a car. And I said, okay, but when I got there, there wasn't a party. It was like a gothic type of house in Beverly Hills or somewhere. And so I didn't bring my itinerary. There's no cell phones. <laughs> two in the morning. So I just um, found an empty bedroom and crashed out there. And so from then on, I don't want to go too deeply into it. Um, I became friends with Stevie, but somebody came around in the morning she didn't want. And she was saying to him, hey, don't come around here, you know. You know so I wrote the next day in San Francisco, 
Don't Come Around Here No More, the chorus, and with my sitar guitar and made a whole track. Don't come around here no more Don't come around here no more Whatever you're looking for Don't come around here no more When I came back, I played it for Stevie, and she was being produced by Jimmy Iovine. She came in the studio, but I didn't know they'd broken up, but they were still working together. Okay. And so there was a bit of sort of acrimonious sort of feeling, and she started just reciting Shakespeare over the songs. Jimmy was getting really mad. <laughs> so he said, I'll oh, fuck this. I'm going to get Tom Petty to come down here. And I witnessed one of the great sort of rock and roll discussions where Tom was going, hey, no, I'm going to do this song. When when you did this to me, would stop dragging my heart around, ended up on Stevie's record. And then <laughs> that was huge. And then, uh, you know, my record was like stuck. Cause, so we went to his garage instead. And recorded it with Tom singing it. You don't come around here no more. You don't come around here no more. Whatever you're looking for. Hey! Don't come around here no more. Now, the band were probably confused. It's me or Indian-y kind of right. sitars on southern accents. And like, yeah. they're like, what the fuck is this? And I look like somebody from, like, you know, uh, an English <laughs> Edwardian novel or something. And um, But well, it turned into this big part of his show live, and it yeah. became a very famous video. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh- <laughs> It was definitely a change in the Tom Petty sound for that song and the other couple that you helped with on Southern Accents, but it worked. And now it's it's a Tom Petty classic. So yeah. congratulations uh, on changed, that. Thank you. Yeah, it changed their attitude to playing live as well. It became more of a bigger show. But I actually love, um, you know, when it really goes into me. I love the Wildflowers album where he went back to you know just very 
playing in a circle and the, yeah. you know, I just love everything about Tom Petty. In fact, every artist you've mentioned, I love everything about them. So, <laughs> well, that's that's great then that you got to work with these people. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So Dave, here's a question I have. You brought up Annie's voice. It's one of the greatest voices in rock and roll of all time. Out of doubt. I often wonder why you guys never did a James Bond theme. Have you, were you ever asked Ah. to like Annie's voice is tailor made for James Bond theme and your writing credentials and producing credentials. I feel like this is a match made in heaven. Were you ever approached? Absolutely. I mean, we were right in the middle of our career and, um, you know, the Broccoli family, Mm -hmm. they set up a screening for me and Annie and Annie was against it from before even seeing the screening because (laughs) she just didn't like those kind of movies. Okay. Uh, And uh, I obviously, you know, my kids uh, later on, like my son was obsessed with James Bond. I had to get him to meet him and all that stuff. But yeah. um, I was, you know, because back to Shirley Bassey and all of the epic Bond yeah. songs and the arrangements and the whole, you know, orchestrations you could do. I really wanted to do it. Um, but she turned it down. Now, later on, I wrote with Joss Stone. James Bond, when they launched it as a PlayStation James Bond game. Yes. <laughs> by any chance, so I, I sort of made one with Joss Stone. She sang it and we wrote it together and it has a huge orchestra and it really sounds like a Bond epic, yeah. That was a question I've always wanted to ask because I, I just felt like that would have been perfect. Let me ask oh, you yeah. about let me ask you about the actual induction. Do you guys know who's inducting you yet? Uh, we don't know at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet because uh, that's been very recent. But mm-hmm. the Songwriters Hall of Fame, we do. Okay. I'm not allowed to say, but all okay. I can say is I'm a ma- I'm a massive fan. But that's all I can say. Okay, that's good. 
I assume you guys will play at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, and at the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah, both. Yeah. Do you guys have you been so you've been talking about what songs you might play that night? Can you give us any hints on that? Is uh, that top secret? Um well, you see, Annie and I, it's interesting for I suppose the average person. I mean, not average, but I mean the uh, person who just hears music on the radio and so forth. Sweet Dreams, obviously, has become like Happy Birthday. I mean, it's just everywhere all the time in a million different versions by tons of people. So it would be um, a miss not to (laughs) perform that, right? Sure. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Here comes the rain again, and would I lie to you? And sisters are doing it for themselves, missionary man. Like they're all slightly different. Like Here Comes the Rain is with a big Gretsch guitar and an orchestra and It was like stacks R and B. But 
missionary man with that attitude and sisters are doing it for themselves, for instance, have all got this soul R&B rocking kind of thing. But sweet dreams can be also done in many ways, as people have proved that. So uh, without saying anything, I think I mentioned a few songs. That yeah, that we'll probably that hear that night. Be. Yeah. I have to mention that, you know, oftentimes on a Eurythmics album, you guys would share vocals. And one of the songs that I really love is from 1986 from the Revenge album. The song is The Miracle of Love. And I just love how your voice is mm. just kind of right in there with Annie's. It's really terrific. Mm. How many sorrows do you try to hide in a world of illusion? Covering your mind I'll show you something good Oh, I'll show you something good When you open your mind You'll discover the sign That there's something you're longing to find A miracle of love Will take away Yeah, the miracle of love. Uh, too interesting because Annie was on holiday somewhere, and I'd written, you know, the miracle of love will take away your pain when the miracle of love comes your way again. And I'd the chords and the structure and how it goes to the verse, but I didn't want to do anything till Annie came back, and then she wrote this brilliant lyrics for the verse and melody, and then she said, well, because she'd heard me singing the chorus to her. Hey, why don't you sing on the chorus, like just like you did? And it gives it this kind of top and bottom kind of warm feeling. And the crowd, you know, when we played that, it became so popular, often we'd end the whole show with that. Yeah. And the crowd would be kind of tearful, you know. It was, I don't know, it's a song, it's kind of like a healing song, you know. It's a fantastic song. It's, it is emotional, and I can understand why the crowd would feel that way. Let's talk real quick about Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. This only went to number 18 in the U.S., and I would have bet money that this was a number one single. So going back and looking at the actual charts, I'm shocked that it only went that high. I really am, because that was all over MTV and all over the radio. So I don't know what these other 17 songs were that were keeping you out of the top slot. Uh Yeah. Well, you know, that year, that year, we went on tour that year, and we didn't really do any promotion Mm -hmm. of it. Um, The video was one of the only videos where we're in a separate location. Uh, I was in England, and Annie was in America, and Aretha. And so, uh, but I think it's a, well, it's an evergreen song as well. I mean, more relevant more relevant now than ever. And um, it was, it started to become an anthem uh, then, and it's grown and grown and grown. And um, it'll be around forever, that song, I think.
Now, when you recorded that song, was everyone in the room together? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, for a start, you know, I made the track, funnily enough, because um, I was working with Tom and I knew Benmont. It's amazing right. Hammond player. And Mike Campbell, I want, I love the sound of him playing through a Wawa solo. So I made the track. It's a mixture of um, the Heartbreakers and me and uh, I think probably Nathan Watts, who was Stevie Wonder's bass player, or Nathan East, I can't remember. Nathan East. Yeah, probably and, him or Nathan Watts. And, and um, Stan Lynch and on drums. Yeah, yeah, I I remember. It's like a Heartbreakers it is. backing track with, with me added. And then... Annie, because Annie came in, you see, this was late on the album and Annie sort of written a poem. And I was like, well, I think that's a poem. I think it's a great song anthem. And I was in a tiny little room with her and I started doing this, actually. Um, I started going. You know what I meant? Oh, cool. Start off now. There was a time, and Annie started singing, and I just went straight through the uh, through the chords changes. That's it. Now there was a time when she came in, and literally we wrote the song in five minutes. Wow! But That's then incredible. it was like. Yeah, then it was like, hang on. Uh, somebody who was in the room listening to the playback of what we thought was the finished album, and I can't remember if it was Clive Davis or somebody else at the time, was going, well, well, this could be a great duet. And then we were sitting around thinking, and when Aretha was mentioned, we were like, oh, we'd never get Aretha. That would be an impossibility. And next thing you knew, we were on a plane to Detroit and uh, yeah, I went into a studio. And while we were recording it, the groove was so big, you know, that I remember um, George Clinton coming downstairs or from somewhere. He just walks in and goes, <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? And Annie singing with Aretha and the room started to fill up with different people. And we all, and Aretha as well, was really digging it and everybody was, Oh, yeah, this is something. Well, I did a crazy thing on that record to make the groove happen. I wanted a shaker that was like 10 times bigger than a shaker, you know, like a, yeah. a maraca. So I was looking for tins and pencils and, you know, anybody got any coffee beans and all that. So I have shaken this thing that's like full of all sorts. And I'm going... <laughs> And then I was going, oh, I couldn't play it, you know, because it was so unmanageable. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'll know what. I'll get the noise gate to when it opens up the hi-hat, you know, it yeah. makes the shaker happen. So it was totally in time with the hi-hat and the drums. So it was like a weird trick that I don't know if anybody had done that before. It was before you could sequence things, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, it made this monstrous groove. I think that's where George Clinton came down. It was like, what's happening? And, uh, yeah, 
it's a great group when it starts. Is that your favorite part about being in the studio? These experiments that just happen out of nowhere, finding new sounds and how to make new sounds. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm working with a lot of people all the time. And, um, I was just in a studio, uh, actually I have a studio on an island and, uh, Bono and Edge were just there doing stuff that I think's just been announced. Bono's book, maybe. But anyway, then I was writing songs with Daryl Hall there. And yeah, we're using all sorts, you know. We, uh, <laughs> You wouldn't believe it. Big marching band drums and then, oh, let's just like stand it on its side and like bounce a rubber ball off it and like all sorts of stuff. So cool. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Uh, Dave, I could talk to you for for days. Uh, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Uh, the next time you have a solo album out, maybe we'll come on again and we'll get into that because you have great solo material. Annie has great solo material. And as mm-hmm. a fan, I'm just so excited that you guys are getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm based in Los Angeles. I plan on being there that night. And I might even try to track you guys down and say congratulations in person oh, I wanna... thanks so much well <clears throat> funny is this coming out when is this interview coming out uh like probably like a couple weeks all right yeah because i i have a triple vinyl box set coming out on may the 20th and um it's got two vinyl eps in it all songs written during the pandemic so like 24 songs and it's the store it's going to be a movie as well and about my about six months in my teenage life. Well, people go seek that out. Do you have a title for that project? It's called Ebony McQueen. Ebony McQueen. I yeah. do want to touch on one song before we go. It was on the last Eurythmics album called the album's peace from 1999. It's a song that I just love so much. It's called 17 again. And I've yeah. talked about it on the show many times but I just love the way you guys incorporated sweet dreams into it. It's just perfect mm-hmm. to me.
funny because we're singing. It was because we'd come together mm-hmm. to actually record again after a long nine-year break. Yeah. So part of the song is about, and it feels like I'm 17 again. And But then it it's also talking about the way everything has changed in music and the way that it's now being sort of consumed and used in all sorts of things and how about celebrity. Now we're talking, we did this in 1999. We're talking about celebrity had been taken over everything else. And so sweet dreams is anything that gets you on the scene. You know, it's like yeah. there's lots of lines in it that are actually, uh, yeah, like prof- prophesizing, I suppose, of this vision of, uh-oh, something's going to come. And, you know, the internet was on the tipping point of, and we could see this going out of control. Which it has, actually. It has. It absolutely has. But the good thing about it is we can do stuff like this. So there are positive things about it. Uh, Always. There's both sides. Exactly. Dave, let me tell people where they can find you. Your website is DaveStewartENT for Uh, Uh, entertainment.com. That's my company. But my my Facebook is just uh, facebook.com slash Dave Stewart. All right. And Twitter's the same, or Dave Stewart Eurythmics uh, on Instagram. On Instagram. All of them will have the link to the box set. And my single actually comes out tomorrow. All right. Well, I can't wait. To, I, I didn't even right. I didn't even know. I feel stupid. I didn't even know about this project. And now I'm going to head over there and get it. Oh, great. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> yeah. It's... Um, the first song coming out, it's not really a, like a single, but it's it's me looking back on everything and how that blues record that I first heard changed my life and how it became the Excalibur that led me all the way here. And what's the title of that song? Everything McQueen. It's the title song. Everything. Okay. So I normally ask my guests to choose a play out song from their career. I feel like that should be the playout song. Well, yes, it should. It, it's very beatly and it's got, you know, when I was a teenager, can you imagine 1964 and 14, and I discover music and a guitar. And yeah. I put on the radio and it's the Beatles and the Kinks and my cousin sends a blues album from Memphis and I, my head exploded, basically. <laughs> and it's all, my head explodes on that song. You'll hear it. Well, Dave, it was so great to talk to you today. I just want you to know that your music has also made our heads explode. So continued success, congratulations, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. You too, Dave. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Ellen McQueen I think I met her once inside the time machine she was working on an island made of green And she already knew everything about my story Ebony McQueen She speaks my language, fills the spaces in between So I don't need to talk and all I do is dream And I've been dreaming for a long, a long Now 
Now I want Loved a girl She brought magic To my world Now she lives All alone In my dreams And the last Time we met We listened to An old cassette And the sound That was weird. The whole <laughs> and the studio and the house just went. Pew. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, am I frozen or is Dave frozen? So I'm glad we worked it out. I disappeared completely. 